At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. One of the implications of the fact that texts don't have any inherent meaning and the fact that we have to generate the meaning in our own heads and the fact that we can only generate that meaning based on our own experiences with and understandings of the um, agreements about language, one of the implications of that is that meaning is going to be different from mind to mind Every as we generate things. Like the, the, guy, the poor young man at KFC who had no idea why I was getting upset, um, his generation of meaning was different from mine. And so we are already having to, in a sense, negotiate with the text just to try to produce any meaning at all. If we want the text to, um, to generate a meaning, we're bringing our experiences and our understanding of language to bear on the text to generate that meaning. So I refer to that as, as, in a sense, a negotiation with the text. But at the same time, we're also being driven by uh, some intuitive desires. If the text is authoritative or if we believe the text is inspired, if the text is meaningful to us, our intuitive cognition is going to play a role in how we are able to generate that meaning. And the meanings that are going to make the text most meaningful and most useful for us are the ones that are going to bubble to the top. And so subconsciously, we're negotiating with the text as well. Our subconscious mind is trying to figure out what will make this text meaningful or what will take make this text useful. And the people who composed the biblical text were writing because they wanted these texts to perform certain functions that usually are totally irrelevant to what we're worried about today. And But for people who believe it is inspired, for people who want to leverage it authoritatively, it needs to mean something useful or meaningful. And so subconsciously, frequently, sometimes consciously, they're going to negotiate with the text and they're going to try to come up with something that makes it meaningful and relevant and useful to us today. So on a few different levels, I think we are negotiating with the text. It is the truest form of Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm your host, John Williamson. 
Welcome back to the podcast. We have a, a big one today. I've been uh, super excited to to release this one. I was super excited to record it. Uh, this is a gentleman who was recommended to me by a friend of the podcast, Jay Baker, and um, instantly got hooked on his videos. Um, he is not your average academic, I would say. Um, obviously, just an incredibly brilliant guy, but um, has this really crazy social media presence and has used social media uh, to reach out to folks um, of younger generations, probably, uh, you would say, and has done so incredibly effectively um, in an effort to combat uh, misinformation. And, um, and and it's just super fun watching him do it. So uh, quickly became a fan, you know, plowed through all of his videos. And, and obviously, and we talk about this on the podcast, it's hard to boil down uh, really you know, um, heavy subjects into one, two minute, you know, videos like little soundbite clips almost, but he, he does a great job of also supplying, you know, additional resources that you can, you can check out and really falls in line with what we've been trying to do with this podcast for years, which is, you know, try to encourage people to, to really dig into it themselves and just, you know, not take, uh, something at, at face value and, and do the research and look into it yourselves. And, and so he really does a great job of sort of facilitating that, giving you a nibble, but then kind of showing you um, some, some places you can go to, to look into it even further. Um, and, and really, you know, is one of the few voices out there who actually has the pedigree to, as I said, kind of combat a lot of this misinformation, because as we all know, anybody can put anything out on the internet, uh, but it doesn't necessarily make it true. So we we got to be real careful. Uh, but Dan does an awesome job, and it's super fun. Uh, his his motto is uh, "data over dogma," which I which I love. So he takes a very historical approach to following the data wherever it leads. You know, no pre- preconceived notion, or um, you know, he's not working backwards and taking a theory and trying to make the evidence fit. He's just following it wherever it goes, and um, and takes that very seriously. So uh, this one was a ton of fun. Uh, kind of got to do just sort of some you know, uh, random questions that I get a lot through the podcast, um, and, and just kind of throw them at them and, 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 and let them go. So it was a, a ton of fun. So Dan, uh, his background, he got a, uh, bachelor's degree in ancient near Eastern studies, uh, then went on to get not one, but two master's degrees, one in Jewish studies, uh, through the university of Oxford and another in biblical studies, and then got his PhD in theology and religion. Uh, he, Previously, he just now uh, went independent based on the popularity of um, his social media presence, but worked for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as a scripture translation supervisor and worked for Brigham Young University as an adjunct instructor of ancient scripture, but now um, has a podcast out and is working on uh, other projects. So we'll put all those links in the show notes. Data Over Dogma is the name, Uh, but you can find Dan all over social media, like I said, as well, um, you know, primarily TikTok and, and YouTube and Instagram, uh, some really great videos. He's got tons of videos up there on all sorts of topics. Um, so check it out. And, uh, other than that, uh, I think you guys know the, know the, the gist, right? So check out www.thedeconstructionist.com. You can find all of our social media links to our Patreon, uh, links to our, uh, social media, our blog, all that good stuff. Uh, you can stream our entire back catalog of episodes directly through the site if you wish. If you're technology um, challenged, uh, you just got to click play on the on the website. So 
trying to make it easy. But uh, other than that, let's get to it. This one was super fun. I give you Dan freaking McClellan. This water I am treading is now my home. So never take what you have for granted. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have today's guest on. Welcome, and thank you so much for taking some time out of your day, Dr. Dan McClellan. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So to jump into the interview, uh, tell folks, listeners, a little bit about your background and how you got into the work that you do today. Yeah, happy to. I um, I was never really much interested in uh, religion growing up. I tell people that I was basically agnostic uh, through most of my life. I am an adult convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, so I was baptized when I was 20 years old. And a year later, I, I left to serve a full-time proselytizing mission in Uruguay where I learned uh, a type of Spanish we call Castellano, and uh, I also started reading the Bible. Uh, someone gifted me a Spanish translation of the Bible that included the Apocrypha, as well as a Spanish Bible dictionary, and I just fell in love with the the literature, the languages, the uh, the cultures that I was finding about in the Bible. I was I had heard some of this stuff in the past. This was my first ep- opportunity to really dive deeply into it. And things in the Apocrypha, particularly, I fell in love with, particularly 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Learning about that history um, was something very new to me, and it just fascinated me. And I just really, really enjoyed learning about this ancient culture that we had so much access to. Um, and I discovered that uh, there was a, a new major at BYU, which was basically the only school I was going to be able to get into. And I, I had already been kicked out of one university in uh, Northern Colorado. So I had a 0.29 GPA. Uh, and uh, I figured maybe they'll let a convert return missionary in. And, and they didn't the first time around for this new major they had called Ancient Near Eastern Studies. But I was able to finagle my way into uh, the back door by taking some uh, some other classes and transferring in. But uh, I did a bachelor's degree in Ancient Near Eastern Studies. Uh, I emphasized Biblical Hebrew, and then I minored in Classical Greek, uh, and then went away to Oxford and did a master's degree in Jewish Studies there, where I studied the Septuagint uh, and textual criticism, and I wrote my uh, my master's thesis there on anti-anthropomorphism and the uh, Septuagint translation of Exodus 2410. Uh, and then uh, went to another school in Canada to do a master's degree there in biblical studies and got a job working for uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as a scripture translation supervisor and was able to do that full-time job and also uh, complete a uh, doctoral dissertation that got me a PhD through the University of Exeter. Uh, and being able to study the Bible for a living has just been something, a dream of mine ever since uh, I was walking the dusty roads of Uruguay back in 2002, 2003. So uh, it's been something I've really loved doing. I've always had a critical eye for it. I've always been very curious, wanting to know what's really behind uh, these texts. And I've never been really convinced by a lot of the dogmas that people have have um, used to try to uh, share those texts and try to convince me of what's going on behind the text. And uh, I have always 
tried to combat the spread of misinformation, particularly online. Uh, I was uh, I had a blog many years ago. I had was friends with a number of biblical scholars and archaeologists and things like that, and we would get together and and interrogate new finds where people said, you know, they just discovered this artifact or this inscription, and we'd get together and talk about why we didn't like it. And um, but with TikTok and uh, other social media platforms. I'd never really thought about doing that kind of thing on there, but I started to see uh, TikTok videos being shared on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter that were overlapping with my area of expertise, but it wasn't coming from scholars. It was coming from lay people and and you know, interested uh, students of the Bible and religion. Uh, but there was a lot of informa- misinformation that was being shared. And so I thought I would go lurk for a while and see what was going on on TikTok beyond just uh, teenagers dancing and Korean kids uh, disrupting Republican presidential campaigns, which, you know, I was perfectly happy to let them do their thing. But I wanted to see if if there was actually a lot of content that was being created that overlapped with with the academic study of the Bible and religion. And I saw that there was. But there was I didn't see many credentialed experts there who call in balls and strikes and and there to, to share the data. And so I thought this is a, a niche I could I could fill. Uh, so I got myself an account and I started responding to to videos and to claims that were being made and um, really enjoyed it. It was phenomenally awkward at first. I had never recorded myself on camera before, so it, I was I still don't like seeing myself on camera, but. Um, it started to to gain some uh, some attention, and as I was responding to the audience and to what people are liking or not liking, what questions they had, what kind of topics they wanted to see me cover, uh, kind of organically just developed this uh, brand, I guess you can call it, where I um, try to put data over dogma and I confront the spread of misinformation about the the Bible and religion, and also try to increase the public's access to the academic study of the Bible and religion. One thing I've noticed is that a lot of the misinformation I see out there is a product of people being exposed to outdated scholarship only because it's in the public domain and is freely available online. And so that's really all they, a lot of people have to work with. So I'm trying to democratize access to what's going on now in the study of the Bible and, and religion and try to see if we can't put a dent in a lot of the misinformation that's being spread out there. Yeah, I think that's what initially drew me into your work uh, to begin with is the fact that uh, you know, you, you, um, you're able to use this technology in a way that you don't often see with professors you know, or scholars in the field. You, know, you think of scholars as the stuffy uh, older guys you know, wearing you know, blazers with elbow patches and hanging out in the archive somewhere, you know, writing, uh, you don't often think of professors or scholars as, as individuals who are engaging online, who, uh, you know, sort of dress like us and, and use social media to their advantage. So I think that's, uh, that's exceptionally cool. And I think that draws a lot of people in. Yeah, I, I'm trying. There, um, there aren't a ton of people like that. There are a few professors who have who have hopped on TikTok and are and uh, uh, Aaron Higashi is a great example, for instance, who's a, a wonderful scholar and and I think does really great uh, videos. But yeah, there's there's not really a template for this, uh, and so hopefully we're developing a bit of a template. I know there are a lot of scholars in the field because I've talked to them who would love to see more of this. 
some of them are a little nervous about trying to to do it themselves. Some are trying to do it themselves. Uh, but yeah, I think this is this is how a lot of the younger generations are consuming their uh, content and are engaging in the public discourse. And so we need to be out there if we hope to combat all the misinformation, because that misinformation is going to be spread whether that we're there or not. And, uh, and I think we have folks like Bart Ehrman who have to some degree uh, been very public facing, uh, but they're publishing books. They're not engaged in a lot of uh, the more easily consumable stuff uh, that we find on TikTok. So I'm, I'm trying to fill that gap uh, until we can get a, a critical mass of scholars in here to be able uh, to uh, really make a push against uh, all of the misinformation that is out there and, and hold that line, so to speak. Yeah, I think, I think there's no mistake uh, in terms of why your social media platforms have taken off in the way that they have. I think it's um, just a really, you know, good way, and obviously, you know, it's it's where this generation's at, and I think I think they get a lot of bad rap too. I think a lot of specifically the millennial and whatever the uh, generation is after that uh, kind of get a bad rap of of being sort of um, uh, lazy and entitled, and and I'm sure to some degree, you know, every generation are, are those things, you know, but. Um, but they're also very curious and very smart and uh, hungry for information. And uh, I think you do such a good job of meeting them where they are. Um, and I think, um, again, I think there's no mistake uh, in regards to why your channels have, have taken off in, in the way that they have. Well, I, I appreciate that. It was certainly a surprise to me, um, but uh, <laughs> a pleasant surprise for me. Uh, I've appreciated, uh, I get messages every day uh, of all kinds. <laughs> a lot of people are not fans of me. A lot of people who are fans of me. A lot of people appreciate that that uh, there's somebody who is speaking to the public to try to disabuse the public of a lot of the conventional wisdom that is not really based on uh, on much data. And so I'm I'm glad that uh, I'm able to be there and that whatever it is that allowed me to. Um, gain purchase, kind of get a toehold in the public discourse. I'm really glad I was able to stumble across that. And I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about what, what it is, what reason there is that, that my account has become popular. And, and I don't know that, that anybody's, I, I certainly don't know what it is, but if I had to guess, I, I guess maybe I have uh, a way of, of kind of breaking things down, deconstructing them in a way that's a little more digestible for people so that someone who's not used to the terminology, and I, and I still get this wrong in a lot of ways. I, I'm working on a book right now, and my agent is like, you got to stop using that word, man. Um, there are lots of words that I use that are you know $2 words that I, I still need to work on that. But evidently, um, I'm able to uh, speak in ways that resonate with folks who are not used to hearing from people in my field. And, and maybe that's all it takes. Maybe there's something else to it. It's certainly not my looks. That's the one thing that I know is not contributing to uh, my growing audience at all. <laughs> well, don't sell yourself short. <laughs> at least I do. I do get a little bit of tension with the uh, with the apparel that I wear, and yeah. um, and a lot of people are fans of the beard now too, which uh, I'm glad to hear. And that's a at Parker, our purpose is simple. 
We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That's another thing that's kind of unique to you uh, is the fact that another thing that people probably don't think of when they think of uh, academics is uh, you have this this amazing talent in the area of art as well. And you've um, featured some really cool drawings uh, and art that you've uh, created on your on your channel. Yeah, I think I think people would be surprised if they understood that a lot of academics are fans of comic books, are uh, you know weightlifters, are uh, artists, uh, are have played professional sports, th- this kind of stuff. Uh, but most of the media through which academics communicate, you don't see that side of it. Uh, and so with, with social media, it's a little easier to pull back the curtain and let people see uh, a little more of you. And so I think it's, it's a surprise for people to, uh, to see that, you know, we're just like everybody else. Uh, we love comic books. We love, uh, I, I know some unreal musicians who are biblical scholars who uh, I've got a friend who makes fuzz pedals for professional musicians like that's a little side gig uh that he does and and many of them are phenomenal guitarists and and uh, musicians of all kinds and so but you know they don't get to talk about that kind of stuff a lot in books and in in academic articles and so hopefully as more scholars are getting onto these social media platforms there's an opportunity to to learn more about them and see 
Uh, and, and Twitter's a great place for it as well. There are, a lot of my friends are on Twitter, and if people just want to go see how, how diverse and how interesting biblical scholars can be, Twitter's a great place for that as well. There are a, lot, yeah. a lot of them are a lot more comfortable with Twitter than they are with, with TikTok. Yeah, with Twitter, you can probably stay slightly more anonymous, I, I think. Um, one of the things that I've really kind of latched onto that I've, I've heard you say um, on, your, on your social media channels, I've seen on your hoodie, is this idea of data over dogma, which I love. My background is in history, and uh, that's very much the historical approach, uh, the historical method, uh, which is to follow the data wherever it leads, instead of starting out with this, idea, you know, with your, um, you know, your endpoint and trying to work backwards. You just you follow the information and wherever it leads, then you uh, create your conclusion based off of what evidence and what data you have. Um, talk a little bit about that and uh were there any things that throughout your your studies that you know you followed the data and maybe you landed in a different spot than maybe you thought you would or maybe it changed uh your opinion of something based on where the data led you yeah there have been a couple um things like that i in fact just the other day i was i was thinking about two of the things that i've talked about on my channel a lot uh are actually positions that i had to I pivoted 180 degrees and, and earlier in my career, I absolutely did not have those positions. Uh, so my, uh, second master's degree, I initially started it to write on the concept of monotheism and the development of monotheism. And I was going to date it around the exilic period. And this was, um, somewhat related to the academic consensus, I was going to try to bring cognitive linguistics to the question in order to provide another argument for it. But the deeper and deeper I got into it, the more I realized that the position I had was not making sense of the data. Um, and I had to, I changed my, um, thesis topic from uh, monotheism to the conceptualization of deity. I was like, we need, we can't even talk about monotheism until we know what a God is according to the biblical authors. And the deeper I got into that, the more I realized that there, there is nothing, anything like monotheism anywhere in the Hebrew Bible. And later I, I realized, I don't think it's even in the New Testament. So I went from thinking, monotheism was something that arose in the exilic period, and I was going to set out to prove it. And uh, by the end of that degree, and I think by the end of the degree that followed my, my doctoral degree, I became fully convinced that monotheism is not in the Bible at all. And so now that that's a position that I hold. And, and you know, someone who just knows me from TikTok, who sees a handful of those videos, it's very easy to just be like, oh, this guy hates the Bible, hates religion. He's just going to say there's no monotheism. And it's like, no, that was something that I struggled with for literally years. And I wanted to show that this is where monotheism begins. And I and the date kept getting pushed back. And, and I did not want to do that. Um, and another example is uh, Psalm 82, which is a fascinating uh, psalm that is very mythological. It discusses the divine council. And for a lot of scholars, it is one of the oldest texts in the Hebrew Bible and may even predate the conflation of Adonai with El. Um, and I think that's clear in Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. And I set out as a part of this research on the concept of deity and monotheism and, and the Hebrew Bible, 
I set out assuming that Psalm 82 was really, really old, and I wanted it to be old because that was going to help me with a lot of my discussions about the nature of deity and the divine counsel. But the more I studied Psalm 82, the more and more I became convinced that it's not that old. And um, so let's see, I started my second master's thesis in 2010 or 2011. In 2018, I published a paper in the Journal of Biblical Literature where I argue that Psalm 82 comes from after the exile. And so over the course of those six, seven, eight years, I completely changed my perspective. And now I'm one of the scholars who argues that it's one of the uh, one of the younger texts uh, in the Hebrew Bible. So, And again, anyone who just knows my TikToks is probably going to think, oh, this is just part of his whole dogma. And it's really the opposite. This was something that I that the data dragged me kicking and screaming into the position that I hold now. And uh, and I, unfortunately, not everybody can see that whole process. And so it's easy to assume, oh, this is what's going on in there, and and it's really not the case. Yeah, and that's I mean that's got to be problematic for for you as an academic scholar too. You know, it, it, you're creating these videos. The videos are are not any longer than you know a couple minutes, but you're trying to sum up, you know, uh, a concept or an idea or, or something that you had spent, you know, countless hours researching and, and, and that sort of thing. But you're, you're summing it up into essentially, you know, an elongated soundbite. And, and people aren't seeing all the, the, the process and all the other information that you've used to come to that conclusion. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to judge based off of this, like, you know, the short video snippet. <laughs> yeah. And, and particularly if I'm like doing a series or if I'm following up on an earlier video, a lot of times I'll kind of summarize positions and, you know, I've done 50 videos within the last year where I said, here are the sources, here's a book. And I put them up on the screen and, and I talk about all this. And then if I just have one video where I'm like, well, there's no evidence for this. And then I get, I get a thousand comments that are like, why don't you provide any evidence? It's like, oh. <laughs> because not every video can be this this full breakdown. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I gotta eat lunch sometime today. I gotta go take care of this, so my video was shorter. Um, so yeah, that's that's somewhat of a frustration, but that comes with the territory. I mean, I can't blame people for that. So um, it it's frustrating, uh, but that's on me. I've got to I've got to better curate the the content that I'm putting out there so that I can produce stuff that's that's shorter and that's summarizing, but. Uh, somehow helps people understand this is uh <laughs> i've got to point them in the direction of of more data so yeah those are uh, navigating the uh the kind of uh a lot of the pitfalls of social media content creation has been quite a growing experience for me something if you said two years ago this is what you'd be doing by 2023 i would not have believed you for a second but um it's been an incredible process learning all about these uh, content creation and how to make it work. Yeah. And one, I think one of the other cool things that you do though, along with the videos is that, you know, you mentioned you, you'll put up sources and some other materials that they can, they can research uh, if they want more information, but you also have posted some online courses that you've done, um, you know, on, on a number of very nuanced you know subjects where people can go and, and get a little more, a little more information, a little more meat, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, say than than just watching the video. It's almost like the video is a teaser, and then if you want more, you know, come join this class, which I thought was a, a really cool way to kind of supplement. Yeah, and I and I had that was not a plan that I had when I got into this, but as uh, 
the content started gaining more attention, I had a lot of people asking if I had a podcast, if I was on YouTube, if I taught online courses. And, uh, uh, so, and the answer was always no, not yet. And, uh, and I tried to figure out how I could, uh, find the time to be able to dedicate to, uh, producing longer form content on YouTube and getting into a podcast. And, uh, the online classes, I think were one of the first thing I was able to do. Uh, I talked with a, a wonderful scholar by the name of Pete Enns, uh, oh, who yeah. is, uh, does a lot of great work and has published some wonderful books. And, uh, and he, shared with me his model for teaching online classes that minimized the work I had to put into things, but, uh, but made it easier to, uh, to kind of disseminate a lot of information to a lot of people very conveniently. And so I started doing that and, and that actually allowed me to quit my full-time job and do the content creation full-time, which is what I'm doing now. And so now I do have a bit more time to dedicate toward YouTube and now have a podcast uh, that's coming out, and and I still do the online courses. The next one that's that's coming up, I and I don't know when when this will air, but uh, in uh, May 11th, I'll be doing a course on the Divine Council, where I'll be talking in a lot more detail about the text that I mentioned earlier and how each nation had their own patron deity, and these deities all sat on a Divine Council that was ruled over by the the patriarchal high deity, and and I'll talk about how that changed throughout the Bible. Um, so yeah, it's. I, I never got into this thinking I'm going to have all different kinds of levels of, of information that I'm going to be able to provide. But as I saw what the audiences were asking for and, and wanted, um, I was able to position myself to be able to kind of produce a number of different channels for that information. And, um, and yeah, there, there'll be more coming in the future, hopefully too. Sharing 
Till her eyes began to see a light inside the dark Then the floor of all she thought began to fall apart And they said, Jen, you must go
Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.